Welcome to New Dimensions with your host, Reverend Nicholas Barrett. Our identities are not labels identifying who we are to others. Rather, they are found in God's riches, His likeness and character. We can discover our true selves and live the way He has intended for us to live. Now, here is Reverend Nicholas Barrett. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm going to use all of those because we're going out live. We're actually live in Los Angeles on the wonderful Voice America platform. You can get this show here at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time each week. But also the shows are available once they're done on the iTunes app by searching New Dimensions. You know, the opportunity is always great. The show is a, is a particularly tough one to present because a lot of lives have been lost. A lot of people are still hopeless and struggling within a situation that they're in. And I spoke at my mother's uh, funeral for about 30 minutes. That was a tough one. But this is tough, too, because it's the importance of the message. And, and I'm believing the change it can bring. We have a lot of first time listeners this week due to the relevancy of the topic, which I'm going to get into in a minute. We also have several thousand regular listen listeners going out to more than 60 countries. I've scheduled this episode. I've prioritized it over all others to stay current and, uh, and address an issue I believe can no longer go unanswered. You know, I could stick with form and function and the shows I'd already planned and then play it safe to try and build my platform. But I have it on my heart to present this today. In order to make change, we have to make a shift. We have to take a risk beyond what we've been used to before. What, we've, what we're used to is something we're comfortable with. But where we want to go, we have to go through discomfort. I mean, God put his very son on a cross for three days to go through excruciating, because that's what crucifixion means, to get to the new. So I'm believing in all things we need to go forward. In the United States, we have a part of our white culture. It's not all white culture, it's subculture with a psyche fed by an ingrained belief that black people are lesser than they are. It's a corrupt narrative that they believe they're bad. This has exponentially contributed to the feeding and sustaining of a corrupt default mode that sustains them as a subculture within a culture. So what this has ultimately led to is that we have a society that's dysfunctional, a societal dysfunctional situation with white perpetrators venting their brokenness on a black culture who then walks with a limp. A solution can only be brought about from both sides working together as one side needs an awakening and the other needs the respect that it deserves to be an equitable force in the United States. You know, I can't solve the last 400 years with this episode, but I can give white culture a wake-up call that can spark a desire to seek an awakening within them, as when they can change the way they look at things, the things they look at will then begin to transform. Remember, racist behavior isn't born, it's be conditioned by what we have seen and what we have heard. So if we want to change, we need to do what we've not done before. It's only through seeing and hearing, but if we do the same things, we get the same results. You know, protests are a great way of getting attention. Boycotts are also great, but we must remember they're only a start to something. As we know, if, if they would have worked in our past, we would not still be living in this mess. To find a solution, we need to get out of the reactive, which is also a default mode, but the wrong one. We need to proactively join minds and platforms to the solution, not to the symptoms. We need to connect to the cure. You know, the greatest obstacle for us in our humanity in making a change is 
could be in our own default mode, our own meme, our own way of doing things. And we say to ourselves, it's been this way for so long that I, it, it can never change. This is truth, as I, I know some of you feel this way. I speak to hundreds and thousands of black people. Uh, I have friends going back 30 years, actually, in England who are on my mother's, one was on my mother's best side after a tragic crash. He's from Jamaica. So I, I know the culture infinitely well. I know the culture very, very well, intimately well. And the truth is a lot of despair for the simple fact that they feel the system cannot be changed because the system is bigger. The system is made upon what people see and hear. It's made on a state of awareness and elucidation. This has not been done. All things are possible. All things can be changed. We only say something can't be done until somebody does it. So I'm believing, you know, diamonds are improved by friction. Gold is improved by heat. And I believe people through attrition become a better part of ourselves sometimes when we go through atrocity. It's a shame we go through them. But that if you look through the Bible, that's the setup. It's trial, challenge, and then the better part. And, and I go back again to uh, Jesus. Same thing. Through trial and challenge and death became the new, became the one that could do all things. And I believe as a society, we can also do that if we go, we need to use our friction not to stay in it as a default mode, but to get awake and awaken the people who are doing this. So right now, this is the way I see it. You know, we have a senior schooling staff referring to Michelle Obama as a gorilla. I've done a lot of research on this. I've been really involved also with Sean King in, um, in New York looking at posts and, and I really wanted to present this show from a, from a learned place. I have a passion for all culture, including black culture, because I see it not as a color, but as a person with an ability. But, and really, I, I, if I expect that from all people, it'll be hard because the reality is not all of us are going to be emotionally well, not all of us are going to be in that place that we don't see a color and we see a person, but that ideally that's how we were made in being. In the conditioned mind, we've got jacked up. That's why the Bible says in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of the mind. To renew something, you must have had it in the first place, like a magazine prescription. But coming back to what I'm saying, she referred to Michelle Obama. She's in the Midwest, I believe. I don't know the exact location. I've done so much research on this. She referred to as a gorilla. What's this gorilla going to do when her husband is no longer president? So we have students that listen to this. We have students painting their faces black and putting it on Twitter. We have people wearing gorilla masks, taunting peaceful black demonstrators, school bus drivers seating people by the color of their skin, blacks on one side, whites on the other. I've had a good deal of white hate while preparing for this show. Several saying actually that I should be killed and hung and that all blacks should be killed and thrown out of the country. It's become very real for me because I needed to investigate this. It's always been on my heart because I've known about the problem. But until you get into that and invest yourself more into it, it doesn't become clear. So I've actually lived the life a lot of black people are living through, through this medium and, and through research and, and just speaking through people really for decades. But so not to mention, you know, on top of all this I'm talking about, certain, certain police officers using blacks as target practice for their anger. You know, I'll address this later in the show. You know, I have a lot to do in an hour, so I may not even do a commercial break. Normally we do about four. But I want to dedicate the show to every black man, woman and child that have experienced discrimination based upon the color of their skin, whether they're dead or alive. 
you know, I thank God for giving me the ability to cross waters, you, you know, that I myself would not be able to cross. It's very simply, if I didn't have enough of God in me, I wouldn't risk my life to do this and to do 100 hours of work to present one hour to you. So it's very simply not a movement of men. It's a movement in God because for the simple fact I'd have gone to Starbucks and canceled the show, I wouldn't have done it. It would have been so hard to do if I was relying on my own strength. You know, I lost parents tragically, lost a great deal of money and, and have not taken a paycheck since 2012 to focus on what God wants me to do. So my journey over the past 40 plus years has been an expensive one of cutting and reshaping me. But, you know, all I've had past has given me the ability to get right to this very moment. But I'm going to get into the title, giving us a background. I know you want me to solve this in, in, in bullet points, but I can't. It's been going on for 400 years. I really need a 10-hour podcast. I'm trying to elucidate to get as much as I can within the hour. The title is Disunity X-Rated. Yes, a lot of people would not present a show like this because it's not being presented, and it deals with things that are raw, things that will make us uncomfortable. But in order to get to comfortable, we have to go through uncomfortable to get to the next level. You know, and I'm going to address all of as much as I can all of these areas. If you're black, you're probably saying to yourself, hey, white guy, do you think you're smarter than us that we can't do it for ourselves? And if you're a white person, you're probably either angry at me as you're participating, either consciously or unconsciously, because the mere fact you have a reaction means it's triggering, which you're participating in some way. You may think you may be white and think we don't have a problem because you're in denial or if you're more aware, you're probably on fire and pushing me on. Go do it, Nicholas. So to address both black and white, it's not that I'm smarter. It's that we have a, an element of our society from the majority, which is 63%, creating a problem for the minority, which is 17%. It's a white subculture. It's a small part of them. I will reinforce this. It's a white subculture venting their brokenness and what they think are the weaker people, the minorities. The most absurd thing is that if the perpetrators of the societal cancer of racism justify themselves by making themselves the victims, and this rubbish has, been, has not really stopped since 1865, this meme. This show by itself cannot solve the problems that we're experiencing in our society as the issues that we now have haven't just happened. I believe they've developed from all that we've passed. As with any other psychological, emotional, conditioned mind issue in life, this is racism, you must go back in order to resolve it and moving forward. There is a whole psychosomatic trail to the behavior and things we're doing today. Racism is not born, it's developed through a person's exposure, their environment and their past. It then gets manifest in what we're witnessing in our present day culture. Racism is a cancer that's become endemic in our society meaning it's in every sphere. It isn't just institutional. It's in the mentality of some people throughout our culture. There's a lot of good police officers. There's good chefs. There's good bakers. There's good butchers. There's good candlestick makers. A person espousing racism is not exclusive of a job description. I will point this out. This is not just, this is not just the police. In the same way, it's, if a 200-mile-an-hour road car that carries a danger, it's not the danger that the car carries. It's the heart and intent of the driver behind the steering wheel. I will mention this before I get into my discussion today. It will not be an anti-police show. You know, I bought some coffee for two police officers at Starbucks yesterday. First thing in the morning, they were great people. We talked about positivity. We talked about certain things. They were great people. They were there to make a difference. And I'm believing a lot of them then are. This will not be an anti-white show. 
as you really cut through the chase, we're basically a subculture heart problem. You know, I'm white myself. So, and if we start to look at color, we're also part of the problem because then we create the them and us. And that's what this is all about in many ways. Them them, them being different and us being better. So you got to cut through that. And so far as the police system, one can acknowledge excellent policing. And I do. I have friends who are. And at the same time, be aware of serious matters of racial prejudice and overuse of force with some of them. You know, I'll be discussing this in, in, later, later as we go along. However, some of the videos that I've seen, maybe even you've seen them, they're really more than brutal. They are appalling. They're actually sickening. So they, they've got to be stopped. And it's platforms like this that can elucidate. Wherever you are in the world, you may not have even heard of these things. Um, in England, they've actually been censoring them for some reason. A friend of mine had to go online to see them. And I'll, I'll discuss that later as well because it's all connected. So if something I say over the time we spend together triggers anything in you, ask yourself these two questions. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? Chances are this may reveal to you that you're reacting from an us-them mentality, which is the real issue. When we react to something, we're already consciously or unconsciously participating. I mean, and I'm repeating this again just to get that across. The unconscious is actually the most dangerous as we become part of a problem without even realizing. And I'm believing there are people who are like that. Obviously, some realize what they're doing, but some it's been going on so long that in our society, if enough people do something, it becomes the norm. That's how a lot of us make our decisions. Oh, well, it's okay, because isn't that what society does? But no, society's messed up. So very simply, we need to go counter-cultural to solve the culture. If I have a fire, if I put more fire on that, I'll get fire. If I put sand, I'll reduce it. So when people on one side of the issue are suffering from a psychosomatic condition, which we have affirmed it's racism, and on the other side, they're victims, the proactive way forward after the anger is a neutral position. That is in pity for the perpetrators or the espouses of it and compassion for the victims. And to be 100% with you, anything less means you need to take a good look at yourself too. Take an honest look at yourself in the mirror. I understand the anger. I've had the anger and the tears too because it's horrific. Some of these have been, in all intents and purposes, they've been, they've been killings. It's been disgusting. But beyond those tears, I need to address the issues that black people are facing, as all lives will only matter once black lives matter. Anything less is doing nothing to solve the real issue. And it is nothing really more than a Band-Aid. We've got to go beyond the comfort, beyond the Band-Aids. But the bottom line is that black people in America have suffered far too long at the expense of a small percentage of whites that are desperately trying to hold on to an old era, an old archaic ethos. I really say, as far as I'm concerned, enough is enough. The racist, I will tell you this, there may be some listening, maybe some of the people that have threatened me are listening. I pity him or her because they're uninformed, uneducated, societally marginalized, weaken their thinking capacity. And, and apparently the only way they can feel better about themselves is by casting their vengeance on another person that they assume is less or different skin. They can almost be pardoned because we live in a dark world with no light to help us see any better. The belief that a member of another race is inferior or to show prejudice, discrimination or antagonize them in any way against someone of a different race is based on a complete illusion and, and really must be stopped immediately. It's, it's a pathetic conditioning of the mind. 
going to clear, clear up a topic that a lot of people need some clarity on. I want to clear up a topic about Colin Kaepernick, this whole issue that really it, it spurred a lot of reaction. It spurred him being on Time magazine. It spurred a whole movement in some people. And maybe the reason I'm doing the show, I, I believe I always would have done it, but God gave, gives everyone the timing. When David threw the stone at Goliath, it was timed. He was a farm boy. I'm in a studio with four walls all by myself speaking to the world on, on the show. So maybe this computer that I'm on now on this platform is the stone that I was given. And I'm believing it is because I have a real passion to do this. Colin Kaepernick, and I encouraged Colin Kaepernick's wife recently on Twitter, but Colin Kaepernick used his platform to begin a discussion about a matter really that affects all of us, but most importantly, police killings unjustified and brutally towards black people. And I'm not going to skate around that. That's the real issue. I'm not questioning him as he has a platform. And bottom line is he risked his career and even life to make a stand for what his heart led, led him to do. So when form and function are no longer functioning, we must concern ourselves with that more than just doing the right thing. Sometimes we have to be a square peg in a round hole. And I really, nationalism can often also because people booed Barack Obama the day after he said we have a, a race problem here. That proves that it's not about Colin. It's about a race issue. Many people hide behind pseudo-nationalism as fancy packaging for their racial prejudice and hatred. And I'll repeat this. Many people hide behind their pseudo-nationalism as a fancy packaging for their racial prejudice and hatred. Fact is, you know, Leave Colin alone. He risked his life in order that others may have theirs. And any human with a sound mind would be admiration for him to do that. So bless the Kaepernick. You know, for a country founded on three documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Paris Peace Treaty of 1783, and the Constitution, these documents give conclusive proof that America is a God-abiding nation and holds all people being equal, with certain rights as individuals. the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for redress or grievances or for any changes or shifts they make, such as we're doing now. The Declaration has many references to God throughout the document. The most famous one is that all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And I'm going to go over this again. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That's for all people, not just for white people. It's for black people, too. I'm addressing a broad audience, and I'm not here to coerce or convince you. But regardless of what your beliefs are, your lifestyles, if you're a fellow human being with a breath, and I'm assuming that is you. So if your blood is red, climb aboard. If you're not interested, then you need to take a good look at it for yourself. You, you can switch off and, and go back to wallowing. But and it says in James, I don't have enough time to go over the biblical stuff. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James, um, I don't have enough time, but God's given me the light but, to do this. But ultimately, if you participate in prejudice, bigotry, bigotry or racism, you're living in sin and selling against God. There are many scriptures in Galatians. We're all covered by the same Christ. We're all one in God for you're all sons through God, through faith. So. It's a sin in the Bible. Also in James, I believe, if you really keep going through that, love your neighbor as yourself, it tells us in James 2.8, um, as you are, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, your sinner can be 
created by lawbreakers. So all men have the same blood. Bottom line is God made people black and he made people white. He made people in all those colors. Some were aristocracy, even as far back as Exodus, because just to clear this up, churches pre-civil or pre-civil war propagandized by saying blacks were not equal. This is another ignorance that's fed into the psyche and it's passed on from great-great-grandparent to great-great-grandparent to great-grandparent to grandparent to son to child and child to his uh, sibling it happens all the time that's how uninformed people are led it's a sheep mentality it's ignorance and, and it's fed to weak people you're all seven billion people equal in god's eye so change your self-perception about yourself and hold your head high it's just that some Europeans and white Americans want you to live under a rug and not in the truth. That way they have control by keeping you weak, by lacking confidence. So some really less aware white people need to get over themselves. Um, we have a very entitled mentality. I'm a psychologist. I talk to a lot of people. There's a certain element, and I will say there's a certain element. We've got to really bring this forward. It's not all. It's a small element, but that small element... I could have a great big vat of honey, and if I drop a fly in that, it's ruined. You know what they say, a fly in the ointment? So it's a small amount of people that are ruining it, really, for the best, greatest country in the world. America, if you look at it, the ecology, the, the oceans, the mountains, the abundance it has, it's one of the most powerful countries in terms of ecologically, in terms of where it's situated geographically, climate-wise, it offers everything. So... We must put an end to this scurvy. I want the flies really out of the honey, but it's not as easy as that. What was the framework that started all this out anyway? Everything starts in a framework. The first African-American man, actually, that came to this country was on a Leone expedition to Florida. This was back in 1513. His name was Juan Garrido, and he was born in West Africa around 1480, 1490, that kind of time frame. He joined the legendary Juan Ponce de Leone, in the colonization of Cuba. He was a conquistador, Cuba and Puerto Rico. And through that became the first known black man on American soil. He arrived in Florida. But really to take you to how this sad story began, we've got to go to jump forward a bit to 1619. It was a stormy day in August of 1619, a Dutch ship with about 20 Africans on board. That was about 400 years ago. Entered the English colony of Jamestown, Virginia. Little is known of these newly arrived people. They were the first blacks to set foot on the North American continent. Their historical arrival marked the beginning of an atrocious trend in colonial America, in which the people of Africa were unwillingly taken from their motherland and consigned to a lifelong slavery. They were taken away from their families, at first really by force, so stolen from the families. And of the hundreds, maybe thousands of Twitter posts I've witnessed, while preparing for this episode, one remains in my mind very clearly. And it really touched me. It, it's all about this being stolen. And it really read, let me know which African country I was stolen from so I can go back home. In the meantime, I'm going to target, do you need anything? And it brought to home how a lot of black, I'm going to use the word African-Americans because you're from Africa. I'm going to really get uh, African-Americans. You are American because you're here, but your, your, your hereditary is African. We should, and one of the reasons, sometimes we're not proud. Sometimes I have told black people before, oh, you're an African-American. And the woman gave me a dirty look, said, no, I'm a black American. 
you're not proud of it because either you don't know about what I'm telling you or you're in denial or you know about it but have never been exposed the truth of it. So if we change the way we see ourselves, black people, then other people will see us a different way too. And that's powerful. That's from God to you. Um, it's heartbreaking stuff. And I, I interrupted, segued into this Twitter thing because I just remembered it. But they were taken away illegally by force and then traded. So as far as the institutional of chattel slavery, the treatment of slaves were, uh, as a property because they were exchanged for value in the United States. If we use 1619 as the beginning of it and 1865, about 140 years or more, the end of it. So it lasted really for 246 years. So the treatment of slaves varied, but the laws in slaveholding states left enslaved people without defense or recourse in any case. Um, punishment was often meted out in response to disobedience or perceived infractions, but sometimes abuse was carried out simply to reassert dominance over the master or the, uh, and the overseer, just to maintain that fear. Slaveholders whipped, shackled, they hanged, beat, burnt, mutilated, branded and, you know, imprisoned slaves. Slave women were often subject to rape and sexual abuse. So the Europeans came over in about the 19th century to Christianize and pillage. It was all atrocity towards people and really, bottom line, a sin between God. So between 1619 and 80, 1866, because that's when it stopped, that 246-year period, about 380,000 to 450,000 Africans arrived in the United States over the course of the slave trade. So about 380 to 450,000. So in North America, mostly from West Africa and the Caribbean, um, mostly from West Africa and the Caribbean. That's really where you arrived from. So amazingly, we have 42 members of the African-American community right now presently in America. You basically descend from that small group of people, which is pretty amazing. And, you know, I just... This is overlooked often because it's accredited very often to America. But the talent that you've shown in the time in all forms of creative arts and sport is likely unsurpassable by any race. So really, bottom line, congratulations. You're awesome. You know, I could go on with the rest of the show reading names, but I think we know the names that are in our fable, uh, that are in our great uh, history, uh, our sports history and our music history, acting history. So... And I don't have enough time, really. I've, I've really got to give you an overview of everything, and I'm probably not going to have a break because what I need to do is too important. I've got, got this one hour, but it's a, basically a pilot show. I'm going to intend traveling around the country, doing a lot of live speaking, speaking to schools, speaking to churches, speaking to um, TV shows, a lot of other people to get this out. This really needs to come out. But how can 1619 be still on your doorstep? You tell me that's 400 years ago. And I'll explain this to you. Racism is a, is a disease that's all sourced at the same well. The common denominator is that it's against the minority or a race that is victimized, experiences injustice, and then walks with a limp. We have that in our present day America, just on a different platform, although the framework remains the same, whether it was done in Germany against people thought less or what it's about anybody who a particular dominant race or majority race feels the other people in the minority are less. And it did happen in Germany. I'm going to explain to you how this worked. Different, different theory, but same, same real practice of subversing other people, but a whole different framework. 
But I'll repeat again, prejudice, discrimination or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. That's what it all boils down to. But there's an entire psychology behind it, which I'm going to try and cover. So we hear so much about Hitler's Germany and its atrocity towards Jewish people. We hear about Italy and its war crimes in Abyssinia, which is today's Ethiopia and Yugoslavia. Mussolini encouraged wrath against minorities. We need to also acknowledge that one of the biggest crimes against humanity the world has ever seen was against African-Americans. We need to set the record straight once and for all so both whites can see through a clearer perspective and that they can also see themselves in a different framework. You know, tolerance is not enough as that's really what you do with a cough or a cold. But what is now needed really is one of equality, respect, acceptance and an awakening. It will only come through an awakening uh, uh, and being set in a new framework. So the framework of a slave and master really remains in place today because of the ignorance of some people. But the system in place is also at fault because it keeps people that way. The system maintains itself by keeping a skeleton in the closet. It's because the world's modus operandi has a sliding scale in, in the values of a person's life. The darker the color, maybe sometimes we're perceived as having less value. I mean, think about it. It's deep, but I often dwell on this thought. I often dwell on this thought, too. Is there a value system? I'm not judging jury, and I don't know people's minds, but it's a question certainly that, that is prompted to be asked. So to clear up what I've just said and put a disclaimer on it, you can't compare the two atrocities as one wanted to kill and eliminate an entire Jewish people and the other wanted slaves to, li to live and help them build a country. So the Holocaust was worse because Jews and others considered vermin and unworthy to live. About two thirds of Jews died. But this does still not make slavery any less worthy of addressing. It lasted centuries rather than the 12 years of Nazism. It enslaved people. Um, they lived out their lives with no end in sight for themselves from slavery or their descendants. And when it ended, not enough really was done to help former slaves establish their new lives in 1865. As nearly 90% of African Americans who were, in, they were enslaved for so long that it, the effects permeate everything in our African American culture even today. So far too many African Americans still live in poverty. My conclusion is that the Holocaust and slavery in America were both awful atrocities to people, but and we still live in the aftermath of both. And I've explained to you really the difference there. They're both bad. One was bad in one way and one was bad in another way. I mean, there's so many ways you can make, you, you know, uh, let me give you a background also on the brokenness of how racism begins. There's a psychology behind, psychology behind this whole thing. I just wish I had more time. Racism, is the, racism really is the work of broken people. Racism is against a person you feel is bad or inferior. So that means that you're emanating what's inside of you to put it on that person. So the many examples I can give you, but a chicken can be broiled, it can be fried or sauteed, but it's still a damn chicken. Same thing goes with, with the developing of racism. What I'm going to say to you will sound odd, but if you stay with me, it will all make sense. Two historians recently claimed the discovery in Germany of a journal written by Adolf Hitler's sister, saying it offers remarkable insights into the dysfunctional nature of his family. Paula Hitler, his sister, unearthed an undisclosed location in Germany. It reveals that her brother was brutal in his teens, that he would beat her repeatedly. Recounting the earliest memories of her childhood when she was around eight or nine, Adolf was 15, she wrote, once again, I felt my brother's loose hand across my face. 
We're going to move on to Mussolini now, the other one that committed atrocities. Born in 1883, he gained a reputation for bullying and fighting during his childhood. At the age of 10, he was expelled from a religious boarding school for stabbing a classmate in the hand. And another, another stabbing incident took place at his next school. He also admitted to knifing a girl in the arm. You see this. I'm going to connect all this to what we're seeing in the police force as well. There is a there's a pattern for this. Believe me, you see a pattern of trail of brokenness here. As I said that there is that trail. Everything we're doing today has a past. There'll be more examples, but just stay with me. Um, I will talk also about the development of non-political races, and then this will help you really land the plane. Why are brutalities more in conversation today? First thing, exposure. Thanks to the rise in technology, things that had previously been co done covertly are now being exposed. Everything we do eventually, I believe, becomes revealed. The cameras really are a blessing. They can be a curse because of the pornography we have in our families, but it's on, what, 47%, I believe. But they're a blessing because you can use technology. God gives us the ability to create things that can either be a curse or a blessing. It's the heart that uses them. It's all about the heart. Everything that flows out of you is a heart issue. So we've witnessed brutal killings, which were completely unnecessary and avoidable recently. I also witnessed a pupil being grabbed across a classroom as if a dog by a policeman, whilst the other's classmates watched in horror. It's unbelievable, but I saw it on video. Everything I'm doing, I'm not judging jury. I'm bringing things to the table I believe need addressing, and I'm also going to end with some solutions if I have time. But I want you to forgive me if I'm not mentioning a case. You're probably listening from part of America. Maybe one of your relatives was killed recently. I want to excuse myself because I can only do so much in the time I have. In July, Philando Castile was shot and killed in Falcon Heights, Minnesota. His fiance filmed a graphic video that showed Castile bleeding to death from a gunshot wounds, from gunshot wounds. The officer shot him three times because we had a busted taillight, his fiance said in the clip. The day before Philander Castile was killed, there was another guy called Alton Sterling, a 37-year-old father of five. He became the 135th black person by July this year to be killed by police. Police in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, fatally shot Alton Sterling following an encounter with two officers. The two officers were responding to a report of a man carrying a gun, threatening others and selling CDs in front of the S convenience store. Two videos of the incident, Film, apparently filmed by witnesses, were released to the media. One showed a detained Sterling lying on the ground as officers hovered over him, shooting him at close range. A second video offered a clearer perspective, showing that Sterling wasn't reaching for his pockets and didn't have anything in his hands. This is cited, by the way, from the Huffington Post. So go back to them if you want to discuss it with Huffington Post. I have all the dates in, in the research I've done, but believe me, as I watched the police, I could feel the anger. I studied the police officer's body language as they hovered over Sterling. Uh, and as, as this is something I know well, because I've studied that a lot, and I believe I'm not mistaken, they actually used some, some profane language too towards him. Um, I'll ask Sean King to check on this, but it really was appalling. It was totally just out of complete either a default mode, either a meme, they've been doing something so long, or just really a corrupt mind. Most recently in the last week or so, we've witnessed more atrocious acts. Terence Crutchton was shot and killed by a police officer in Tulsa. The video was recorded by a police helicopter and a patrol car's dashboard camera, I believe. It shows Mr. Crutchner raising his hands, walking towards a car, and then being shot and killed by an officer. The officer up... 
500 feet in a helicopter can be heard clearly saying, oh, he looks like a bad dude. The man had his hands up in surrender, straight up in the air, wearing a white shirt. How would the police helicopter know if he wasn't in the default mode of prejudice and a had a corrupt, skewed, biased way of thinking? I leave you to draw your own conclusions, dear listeners. The police officer who shot and killed Terence has recently claimed through her attorney that she was so stressed that she became partially deaf, so decided to shoot him anyway. So picture this, a helicopter, a whole team of armed officers, an unarmed one in a white T-shirt with his hands up in the air. Oh, I was so stressed out, I decided to shoot him. I'm not a judge and jury, but, you know, I leave it for you to decide. The latest was Keith Scott in Charlotte, who was shot and killed by police officers. You know, watch the video and make a decision. Scott was the 214th black person killed by US police so far this year. These killings were because of the color of their skin, but more to the point, an act against humanity. So really an act against you and me. God loves us all the same, and that's the truth. This was not begun in the towns that it occurred, but it was started from a process that began with a seed sowed in the human heart. The word that is heard or an action that is seen grows as a cancer in a person. So it's all from what we've been exposed to. It then manifests to your town, my town, and the nation beyond. It is the one very often that can start with a person sitting right next to you, the one that sat next to his racist dad while growing up, making racist comments as he negotiated his way through traffic, taking him to school. The classmate that heard the comments of a senior staff member referred to President Obama's wife as that gorilla. The person in the coffee shop where only whites are sitting and a black person should happen to walk in. And one of them whispers to her son and daughter, be careful, uh, watch for your wallets. You know, this is how a meme starts. And I'll explain to you about a meme more along. This is how it starts, guys. I've seen it that we're very divided in some ways. We're very segregated. And I've read also, again, of bus drivers seating children by race. It's through exposure. And sometimes people are doing this unconsciously through a default mode of not really being educated, not being elucidated, platforms not speaking to them, not being alighted. All of this stuff happens with a discussion. And I explained to you again. You know, watching all the videos and all the hatred I'm getting on Twitter, I've realized we, we have a lot of hate in our society. I realize that although my heart is heavy laden here in Los Angeles, that so would yours be in Charlotte, in Tulsa, in New York, in Chicago and beyond. Many good people in this country are hurting because of racial hatred and discrimination. It's ultimately the passion that seeks to bring down somebody else and justifies itself by finding a reason to do just that. In truth, again, if the person were whole and felt strong, they wouldn't need to prove it by causing harm to another. It's because they're weak with poor critical thinking. Their childhood or environmental exposure has eluded them. They have a right to treat a person the way they themselves would never tolerate. Again, it's not a just a police problem. We have many good police. It's an across-the-board subcultural problem. This white needs exposure. A racist can do any job. In many ways, we're, we're very modernistic in our approach to technology, but societally, we're very archaic, very set back in our ways. We really need to shift this. So we need to make a shift. There is a need, as I say, not just to deal with symptoms, as we can see what they are. They're heinous. But we need to deal with an entire cause so that we can find a cure or we remain in this system and causality that it's not being addressed. We look at the behavior of something. We get angry, but we never go beyond to look at the root cause of why behavior occurs in the first place. Reaction soon fades like that of a barking dog until the next time a trigger gets committed. That's a, a trigger. It's a, 
it's a response. We need to go beyond the reaction to the cause. You know, we've walked around cyclically really since the riots sometimes of 1994, or for that matter, many generations. Non-peaceful protests and riots further feed the narrative of the white person who's a racist. Having a psychology and pastoral background, I can see this. I know the human mind and how it functions. I listen to people's words and it tells me about their heart. They say something like this, oh, those blacks again. They're always a problem committing crimes and looting. The racists do this to justify their superiority, make themselves the victims and make you the perpetrators. They're cunning. They think they're good people. But as I mentioned earlier in the show, they have a default mode that they're the victim and the blacks are the perpetrators. This is really what needs to be broken. That's how we've maintained the societal paradigm that was supposedly supposedly abolished in the 13th Amendment in 1865 that ended slavery, which it did. It ended. But the amendment was made, but the psychology passed down from generation to generation. And again, I'll put a disclaimer on this. It's a subculture, a subculture of these people, whether they're doing it consciously or unconsciously, needs to be brought to light. Tout fox the fox. You've got to be cunning. You can't feed from its bait because they'll turn around and use that to kill you. We need to really do it. I mean, even British media reported when we, there was um, a protest in Carolina, all oh, those troublesome blacks are the culprits again. So it's being fed by a subculture of white people, whether they're here, there, they're, they're probably everywhere because that's part of the subculture. They've been educated. So a memory is an element of culture or a system or a behavior that may be considered to be passed on from one individual to another. It's not genetic. It's a system of operating, a system of uh, you've learned a modus operandi, how things function and what's the accepted norm. That's a set place meme. Let's take a look at the cause, the cause of how how abuse could happen. Hurt people hurt people. This is most likely in our family when growing, and I'm going to trace this back to police too. It's most likely when growing up in our family as a child, the first three to four years are the most critical. A person could have been abused by a parent, so they have a weakened self-esteem. When children are exposed to verbal abuse or grow up in violence or witness it or with any dysfunction in the home, and I'm going to be 100 with you, that's many of us, they can suffer from anger in their adult lives. This can manifest as abuse towards a spouse, children, or pets. This is if, as if the person is a racist because of their exposure. This can also show up in aggression towards black people. Life is like a pressure cooker. As what goes in must eventually come out. If this has been the exposure of somebody wearing a blue suit and carrying a gun, again, it's your own initiative in making your decision. There was a case brought to my attention that a policeman had fired 41 bullets into a person. Another of a man who I saw on video being beaten multiple, multiple, dozens of times by a trench into pulp. So I leave you to decide. There is a whole psychology to racism. And I'm going to, in the solution part of this episode, I'm going to get by what I'm thinking should be done with the police force. There's a whole psychology. They pick on someone who's weaker, the minorities, who's black. They've had anger in their past childhood. Boom, boom, boom. They start shooting. There's a correlation there, I promise you. Another way can develop like this, you know, somewhere in their childhoods, most likely they were hurt by someone's words or actions who look different to them and then live their whole lives out by deciding what they don't like based off that past hurt and make a decision not to put themselves in that situation again. The problem is this reinforces being externally referenced. I, I experienced my life from the outside in. Therefore, unless that person made me feel a certain way, so I pick and choose my experiences, or so I believe, based on that person's likelihood to hurt me. So if it was somebody of an opposite color and they were a child, 
if the person was black, very simply, the cancer starts there. We need to remember that a brand new white shirt is pristine, but once taken out of its box and worn in Wall Street for a day, take a look at the collar. We're all remnants of our past exposure and experiences. It's what we see and hear that causes our perceptions. So stay with me. I, I did some research and I don't have time to go this. I've got to go to solutions. Mel Gibson was wanted to kill his daughter that he had with a girlfriend. He was a huge racist, as you know, has done a lot of racial abuse. This has been on the media. Donald Sterling had to sell an entire NBA team for racism. He actually had a history of beating his son and beating up his son. And uh, and his son actually basically died of a, of a drug overdose. So Donald Sterling has a long-running participation of descent into the heart of darkness. So you must realize the perpetrators of racism are per per perpetrators of a very dark, ugly side of humanity, an ugly subculture that needs to be exposed. So both Mel Gibson and him had violence. They've wanted to beat, one wanted to kill a child, and the other one was beating his son and was in, in fits of anger. So there's a whole correlation between racism and mental health. Believe me, there's a whole thing. People that do shootings and shoot people 41 times or even three times or even one time, is they're living in a meme, but they've also, I guarantee you, have been, not all of them, some of them have had uh, exposure to hurt and pain in their past. So some things very clearly need to be broken off. The solution, the majority of American racists live where slavery was most common. There was research revealed in the Mail on Sunday. So the University of Rochester found that despite the abolition of slavery 150 years ago, um, white Southerners who live in the Cotton Belt, where the economy was built on slavery and plantations, are much more likely to express attitudes towards blacks and their fellow Southerners. So it's most of the police shootings, if you look, have occurred in Tulsa, Chicago, Carolina, Baton Rouge, Minnesota, Washington, Atlanta, Dallas. Do you see where I'm taking you with this? There is a correlation between where slavery was, the mentality that's continued. It's these pockets. Um, you know, Martin Luther King did a lot in his civil rights movement, and a lot of things came, social justice programs, causes and consequences of racism, cultural education across the, the board. Um, you know, he did a lot of that in the pursuit of the rights and, and uh, various groups under the civil rights umbrella. One thing has become clear. That's what was called right by one group is often called wrong by another. So rather than resolving the differences, tolerance is just championed as an appropriate response to the very perspectives that have, need to be changed. So the lingering vestiges of racism in America remain a challenge to us in the hope for a nation that lives out its cherished values, which are liberty and justice. It remains a challenge. That's why we have these problems. So continued incidents, you know, they stir racial tensions. They remind us of hatred and animosity still festers. You know, suspicion lurks under the surface of many interactions. News events and even our elections are built on a fragile racial harmony. We seem to live under an uneasy truce. Tensions continue. But I... You know, I have good news, and, and this has been done by the UN, by Pamela Falk, CBS News. It said, should the US pay reparations for slavery? So it's a United Nations group. This was a, a CBS News report. It's all factual. A United States group working is together, is getting into the fray as US racial discrimination after 14 years and 20 days of speaking with US officials, activists and family killed by police in major American cities, it's issued its conclusions. The slave trade was a crime against humanity and the US government should pay reparations. This is all factual on this report. 
they feel that the American, African-Americans need to indeed made such a significant contribution to building the United States that they should have reparations paid to them. So contemporary police killings and the trauma it creates are reminiscent of the racial terror wrenching in the past, a French member of the working group UN experts said after the meetings. The UN experts traveled. They traveled to Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Jackson, Mississippi, Chicago, and New York. I'm going to come around really to talk outs. I could spend I need to spend a lot more time on what I've done, but I'm trying to give you an overview. I'm trying to make this effective. To, I've hit all areas. I've hit the why it's occurring from our exposure. It hasn't been taught really the slavery mentality was passed on through generation to generation. So people are kept in the dark. It's not taught at churches, not taught at school curriculums. So we need to move forward from the past. We're a great country. We have many great people here, many amazing blacks and many amazing whites. To say not, we also need to examine our hearts. This can't be biased against anybody. It's a problem that needs to be solved. We're, we are a great country and I believe we can be greater. So takeouts, I've got about 10 minutes left or thereabouts. I believe that all the world, although the world is a preposis, we don't go to into abyss, but instead we need to use the testing for our awareness. So I'm going to hit this very succinctly on these points. Police hiring reform needs to take place. What was covert has now been exposed. The videos that we've all been able to witness and the world's been able to witness have made visible what has not really changed much since the 1950s and 60s. African-Americans really a target practice for a small percentage of police officers that should not really be hired in the first place. The difference is that we can finally now see it in action. They mess it up for the good ones and there is always a tension between blacks and the police and that's why. Although I'm again acknowledging excellence in our police force, we truly have some amazing men. There are a number of racists hurting ones that are bent on really hurting blacks so they themselves can feel better. And as far as their psychological evaluation, that's something really that should be done in all of these cases. This is the truth. Um, this can include better background checks, better interviewing and screening and hiring processes. It can also include regular counseling and monitoring to make certain they're sound. Just like you check the oil of a car before the brake, the car breaks down, people are the same way. Policing has attrition. It's a very high-stress job. It needs to be kept in check. The legal system in our judiciary needs to shift. Police that kill unarmed African Americans need to face stiff custodial sentences. This will show them that there are consequences to their actions. Paid leave and a slap on the wrist is no longer acceptable when people are being shot and killed. Police must get more than a paid vacation for killing someone who's unarmed and black, there needs to be consequences. This needs to be put in the media. The law, in my opinion, needs to be changed. No consequences, and guess what? We perpetuate what we're doing. Um, Joe Palazzo of, of the Washington um, Journal, Wall, actually Wall Street Journal, prison sentences of black men were nearly 20% longer than those of white men for similar crimes in recent years. It's published by the US Sentencing Commission. We need to go over that, education, school curriculums to give a real story about African-Americans. So we need to broaden what is considered important to impart to our students so that a default history of America isn't a white male one. If you reflected in the racially biased policing, violent hate crimes and absurd resistance to permanently bringing down the Confederate flag, which all play out beyond our daily classrooms. Revising our vision of what constitutes black history is especially crucial now in 2016. 50% of black 
of American children are born in the minorities. It's time to stop propagating the myth of a white America as the only true and dominant one of our present and past. One must be cautious of implicit bias as unlike explicit, which reflects the attitudes of beliefs one endorses at a conscious level. Implicit bias is the bias in judgment or behavior that's much more subtle. It's a cognitive process. It, it eludes to implicit attitudes and implicit stereotypes. They're often subjugated. They're often left undercover. So it often operates below a conscious and awareness level, and that leads to racism. Um, LA Times actually showed an article that African-American boys before they even go into kindergarten, the, you know, the presumption of guilt starts. A study of uh, teachers, of kindergarten teachers by some experts, prompted them to have a much longer gaze on black students than they did on white students. Society, society needs to shift its meme. Um, unity can only come from anticipation, then participation and expectation. So a meme is a way of doing things. We need to get more into the discussion. Um, I don't have enough time to fully go into it. I may need to do another one. Medium platforms, there need to be less biased coverage. As much of today's media is a narrative based on the black man. Poor police victim syndrome. We need to look where we are today, not in the 1865 memory. Platforms need to speak up. I've started it, so you guys need to follow. Society can only be transformed by what people see or hear. Right now, they hear anger and interaction by voiceless platforms. You need to lift your voice. You know, for every bird, I'm going to come to a close. For every bird that moves through the sky leaves a vapor. Every stone into a lake a ripple. So does every heartache each time another human being suffers. The divining agent isn't a lack of consciousness or awareness. It's us, them is the real issue. I love you. Racists, I pity you. And I want you to be healed. And African-Americans, I put my life on the line for you. All lives are a people only matter when black lives matter first. I'm available to travel and speak. So you have a heart and a large platform. Let's start the discussion. I've given all I can. I've given my life for this cause. I'm sorry I couldn't go into the development of memes. If you want to tune in next week, I'll probably have another topic. But it's about how things are uh, speed limits, for example. P people meet, they decide the probability of danger and how things should be exerted. And that's how society acts so the function of society needs to be by discussion, proaction, talk about the problems. It's elucidating, making people aware, and then discussing all platforms. You know, I love you. God loves you more. And thank you again for giving me this time. It's been a blessing. And I will talk to you in the next segment. But I will discuss a little bit more about Memi. I, I got as much as I can in an hour. There's 10 more hours left. But God bless you, love you, and talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of New Dimensions. Please join Reverend Nicholas Barrett again next Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a blessed week.